The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. How are you, sir? This is Pierre. Oh. I can't believe I'm talking to you, Dr. Ray the Great. Well, I don't know about that. I love listening to you. You have a personality just like my father. I don't think you should feel helpless. You are helpless. Doctor, I really appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better. You be at peace, or else I'm going to yell at you. I'm trying to find a reason to speak to you. I think you're the best thing since sliced bread. That Ray, he's something. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all the parents out there. I don't know what I can possibly do. I don't either. I'm getting my money worth, I think, at this phone call. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Now, she's getting her money's worth. She said, penny for your thoughts. So I doubled it. I gave her my two cents worth. Nice to have you with me on The Doctor Is In. The variant here is Look Back Friday. We never do this other than a Friday. Sometimes, every infrequent moment, we have a uh, Friday show where we don't look back. We just do a call-in, but that's that's... Rather rare, most of the time we look at, you know, so I include you in all that, personal pronoun, plural pronoun, we look back at previous calls with uh, much more to say about them, always, that can be, um, or just uh, something happens within the call that I would like to pursue in another direction, but I don't want to divert our caller from the point they were asking about or wanting to make so that's what we do on look back friday i just basically get to talk more there are a lot of reasons why people neglect the question of god the question of christ the question of faith most people have not a hostility, just a, an indifference. They don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. What's the matter? Yeah, 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 God's there. I, I believe in God. Yeah, there, there's somebody out there, yeah. But in terms of actually living according to his guidelines, his ways, or if you accept that Christ is the God-man living according to the ways he gave his church to teach. Oh, well, and there's a lot of reasons for this, of course. Big reasons are that they morally run up against a teaching that uh, they don't like at all, or it makes their life quite inconvenient as they see it. But one of the big ones, and I find this fascinating because I think it's a direct outgrowth of the self-esteem movement. In the 70s, Gathering Momentum, put out by a fellow named Carl Rogers, psychologist, talked about how important that you see yourself very positively, see yourself as a just a flat-out valuable human being. And the theory said that the better you see yourself, the less likely you are to get pulled into difficulties in life. 
Why? Because you got a good self-image. So I, I really don't need to do things to try to get approval or I don't need to do things that would be risky to get attention because I'm pretty comfortable with myself. Now, the research doesn't show that self-esteem is related to much. Despite all the nice theory, research doesn't support that. But I think there's been a byproduct in this whole self-esteem movement that has infected our view of religion. Many of you probably heard people say this, probably people in your own families, your grown children. I'm a good person. Now, you see, that line makes absolutely no sense. Makes no sense. At a number of levels. One, the question could be asked, what is good? Who defines good? There are those who believe it's absolutely wonderful. It's to be celebrated to get rid of that child in the womb. There are those who believe, no, that's killing a human life, an innocent human life. Okay, wh wh which one of those is good? Which one's good? Uh, there are people who believe that uh, it is uh, good to, well, in the extreme, blow yourself up to kill people. Well, is that they believe it's good. That would make them a good person. You'd go straight to heaven. Is that good? So, when someone says I'm a good person, the logical que logical question is who who determines good? What is good? Now, if they say I don't hurt people, I live responsibly, I'm a fair person they define that as good could you not say well that's culturally good the culture says that's good if you were in for example some Middle Eastern cultures they would say it's good that women be covered from head to toe that they are not allowed to drive that people with same-sex attraction uh, should be severely severely punished they believe that's good so when one says I'm a good person he's really saying I define good by the culture but even at that it's shaky for example if someone says a nine-year-old should be able to decide whether he or she wants puberty blockers that's good. Another person says, no, that's not good. This is a child who doesn't know at age nine the ramifications of this decision and doesn't know at age nine, doesn't have the maturity to make a long-lasting, life-altering move like this. So which is good? Some in the culture say that uh, it's good that you let the child decide at age nine. Others in the culture say, no, that's horrific that you let the child decide at age nine, which is good. So the main problem is defining good. Who says? But there's one more 
level of difficulty here. If someone says, for the most part, I'm a good person, 80% good, you know? I mean, I got my flaws, I got my weaknesses, I do wrong things. Of course, of course, one could say, what are wrong things, right? Uh, who says they're wrong? If there's no God, what's, what's right or wrong? I mean, it's just kind of totally all decided by the cultural flow. But I would say to them, no. If you say you're a good person, then you are 100% good. You are completely good. Why would I say that? Because you decide what good is. In saying I'm a good person, you're saying by my standards, I'm a good person, which means you set the standards, which means you automatically meet your standards. So therefore, you're not just sort of a good person. In your mind, you're a completely good person. Because you define good. The philosopher, don't know who he was, once said, if there were no God, we would have to invent him. Forgive the use of a male pronoun to refer to God, because we know he doesn't have a body and sexuality however that's how he has chosen to communicate with us so I figure God knows how he wants to be communicated with so I use the word him what did the philosopher mean well he meant that with without an absolute system in place for right or wrong then right or wrong is within everybody's judgment who are you to tell me I'm wrong if I believe that it's okay to leave my wife and five children because I've met somebody I like better? Who are you to tell me that's wrong? I think that's good because ultimately my happiness is what matters, so that's good. I'm a good person. I will continue to pay child support, so that makes me a good person. I will continue to visit my children on the weekends, so that makes me a good person. By my definition, I'm a good person. So often, I'm a good person simply means I'm not a bad person. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stolen from widows. I haven't destroyed somebody's property on purpose I haven't cheated people not that much so therefore the the absence of what I define as hurtful nasty behavior I haven't kicked any puppies makes me a good person I'm a good person makes no sense it makes no sense but the one thing nice about being a believer in God and in Christ is you can rightfully say you are an infinitely valuable person not because you say so but because the creator of the universe says so
that's a pretty good stamp of approval. I'm Dr. Ray. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I went to Las Vegas years and years ago for one of these cable shows. And and I was uh, shocked to see all these old ladies in their 70s and 80s getting off that plane, running for a slot machine. You don't have a chance to win. They're all fixed. I know, my uncle used to have slot machines. (laughs) EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Underwritten in part by this not-for-profit. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. I would always hear from uh, different people at non-Catholic churches that Catholics were going to hell or that they really didn't know who the Lord was. The Catholic Church is not all what people say it is. I mean, it's completely different. There's so many stereotypes. It's very possible to know the Lord and it's very possible to have a relationship with God in the Catholic Church. I believe I was born into the Catholic Church and that's where I belong. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. You said you're a super fan of the show. Did I just drop you down to a medium fan of the show? I think so. Oh, gee. My wife asked me what I wanted for my birthday. I told her, said I just, uh, all I want is not to be reminded of my age. That's all. That's all I want. Yeah, it's 50 some candles on the cake, and that was a piece I had. Nice to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi. Appreciate the company. This is Look Back Friday, a variant of the Doctor's Inn. Doctor's Inn is a co production of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications. My producer, man who does all the editing on these look-back calls, is Andrew Kruchek. He's got uh, a little little son named John and a daughter named Audra Rose. Very, very nice names. Um, what else? Just a quick thing. The uh, TV show Living Right with Dr. Ray, EWTN Global Catholic Television Network, is uh, in season number 12. Those seasons will all be starting out. Every once in a while I get an email and somebody says, okay, when's the new season coming? Well, it should be here very, very shortly. Got some uh, great guests and some good times on the program. I'm still doing my own stunts. No body doubles, um, but it's, it's getting close. It's getting close that I can't do it anymore. All right. Now, Christopher from New York says his parents have changed. 
Let's see what he means. That's an interesting way that yeah. your mom would phrase it. Your mom would say that uh, your dad just became old recently. Well, this, well, let's, well, this is the thing. They're ne- she's nine years younger than him, and that was she said that a number of years ago. So she may have said that like nine years ago. How old is he? He'll be he's on he'll be eighty six in a couple months. Did she, she say that his personality has changed in the last several years? No, but I, I, I usually don't talk to us about talk to her about this because because now like it was like an overnight thing, even though she's nine years younger, it's almost like now she's turned that way. Like every day that I call them, okay, and I have other siblings. A couple of us call him every day. A couple of us don't call him at all, but whatever. Every day that I call there, they're sick. Every day. Your mother can't come on the phone. She's sick. My gosh, she can't. I, I said, she can't come on the phone. She, how sick is she? I said, and I told them. I told them because we're very close. I said, I said, Dad, every time I call your house, you're sick. I said, that's impossible. Even if you're old, how could you be sick? You don't understand. And he had said, this is the big issue, was that he had said years ago, uh, say when he was 80 or something like that, uh, from now on, I don't want to hear about anybody's problems. I had problems my whole life. I dealt with them. And I don't know how many more days I have left on this planet. I want to enjoy my life with my wife. And he says my wife, my wife. And, and, they live in and another so, state, Christopher? No, not at all. They live, live in the same town. <laughs> they live in the same town. So what happens when you go visit? No, they like it if you go visit. So they're not sick when you go? They're not, they're not sick when you go visit? No. All right. So here's the story. You call. You ask to talk to mom. Does dad pick up the phone every time? Pretty much. It never used to be that way, but yeah, no. All right. So the first thing I'm going to say is get get used to your parents changing in their personality a little bit. That tends to happen sometimes when you get older. You develop maybe a little more quirks. Not all, not everybody, but it's not uncommon. You develop a few more quirks, little oddities, things that are not quite the way your parents used to act or say. So you got to roll with that. Now, if he says she's not feeling good, she can't come to the phone. Don't dispute him. Don't say, like you said, Dad, every time I call, she says she can't come to the phone because she doesn't feel good. Don't do that. Just say, okay, well, just give her my best and tell her I hope she feels better. That's what you do. And you realize you're probably going to have to have contact with your parent at any length by going over there, you're probably not going to get anywhere on the phone too much. Maybe she doesn't want to come to the phone. Who knows her reasoning? It may not make any sense, but you can't know that because well, she's not going to tell you. It, 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 I don't want to be I take up too much more of your time because I don't give a lot of callers. But it's it's not just so much that I call her and they say that they're sick every time. It's just that more of that when I said that you guys weren't here problems and things like that. I mean, pretty much my whole life. I mean, do you bite your tongue? 
Yes. And you yes. listen to them and be respectful. You, well, you, you, know said, I mean? you said a key phrase. Pretty much my whole life. In other words, for years and years and years and years, this has been your parents' style. Okay. At some point, you say to yourself, I'm going to quit frustrating myself over their style. This is the way they act under these contexts. So therefore, uh, when they do this, they complain about the same things over and over and over and over and over again. I'll just uh, patiently listen and, and maybe extricate myself from the phone a little earlier. I don't have to sit for 47 minutes and listen to a barrage of complaining. But at the same time, you don't frustrate yourself because that, that seems to be the problem. It's, you're not going to change your parents. You, they've been doing this all their life, according to you. So you're not changing them. you got to change you. you got to say, I, I'm going to stop frustrating myself. If I call, uh, this could be what I hear. All right, what's, what's, what's my plan? Well, my plan is to say, well, Dad, you know, help. tell Mom I love her. Hopefully she feels better, and I'll, I'll talk to you soon when I come to visit on Friday. That kind of thing. Got to have your plan. As I listen to this call again, it occurs to me that possibly exists that Dad somehow has taken some kind of protector role. He is the the screening device, the wall, the 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 blockade, if you will, uh, between anybody and mom. I don't know if there's been cognitive slippage. I certainly can't make that call at all. It's not unusual. Roughly 50% of people age 85 and older show some degree of cognitive impairment, which can affect their personality. So I, I don't know if Dad has gotten it in his head the last year that somehow, some way, he's got to be the retaining wall between son calling and mom. I, I don't know. I can't say that. And obviously, if we had time to talk a lot longer, I could have asked the son, have you noticed other things going on with your dad, with your mom, with the dynamics between both? But here's the key question, I think, that comes out of that call. How long does it take? How many years does it take? To come to the conclusion that a certain person in my life, certain people in my life, are the way they are. That they're not going to change. They may see nothing wrong with the way they are. They may have hidden hostilities I know nothing about. They may be carrying resentments toward me that they've never revealed so the question becomes how long do I need as a person to come to the conclusion that this is the way it is very very hard for people to do that they take so so very long to come to that conclusion so much of the distress and the frustration that people bring to me 
is because of other people's behavior. Much of the time, it's repetitive behavior. It's part of their personality. It's the way they've been for the last 37 years. And yet, they still frustrate the person. Many people believe that, well, if I, if I just kind of accept this and don't, don't distress myself over it, then the other person's going to run wild. They'll just figure, okay, I could just be any way I want. I want to comment just a little bit more about this whole idea of if I accept certain things, that gives the other person permission to continue to be difficult. When we come back. Sixty on ten with Monsignor Charles Pope. The Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery. This commandment is wide-ranging in its implications. It forbids us uh, not only from committing the very act of adultery, but also other sexual sins such as fornication or premarital sex, watching pornography and speaking lewdly. Likewise, homosexual acts and acts of masturbation are also forbidden us. And the Lord himself even enjoins us to a purity of mind that we should not freely entertain uh, lustful thoughts. And so it's wide-ranging, it's challenging, but it's in service of the great sacredness of human life which comes from sexual activity. So we thank God for this great gift of sexuality and we ask for his grace to live it with great reverence. The Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. Here's the new challenge. At least one hour a week in front of the Blessed Sacrament with the goal of an hour a day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I had a guy come up to me and he says, Father, you know, I'm doing a lot of things. I'm, I'm in a men's fellowship. I pray with my wife every day. I go to Mass every Sunday and, and usually a couple times during the week. I read Scripture. He goes, I want more. I said, do you pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament? He said, outside of Mass, no. I said, I think that's the more. See, all these saints, these are the ones who surround us. These are the ones who ran before us. These are the ones who fought well, who kept the faith. They would tell you, as would every single saint in heaven right now, you cannot run this race if you don't spend time with the master. Whatever else we're doing, it's second, third, and fourth. First things need to be first. And the first thing is to be with the master. And the master is Jesus. I appreciate the company. This is Dr. Ray Garendi. Program Doctor is in. This is Look Back Friday, where I get to comment some more on calls that I wanted to comment on. I want to comment more on all calls, but certain ones more than others spur the desire to embellish, to extrapolate, to explain a little further. Christopher was talking about being frustrated because when his dad answers the phone, which he now always does, which is a change in behavior. Christopher said that didn't used to happen, but now 
Every time Christopher calls, his 87-year-old father answers the phone and says, Mom can't talk to you because she doesn't feel good. Now, obviously, something's going on. Whether Dad feels like I've got to put up a wall to protect Mom, whether Dad feels like I don't want anybody talking to her, I don't know what is going on in Dad's mind. Who knows? And Christopher gets very frustrated, very, very, very frustrated. And before we went on break, well... You didn't go on break. I did. I said, how long do you have to see a certain pattern of behavior in somebody before it, I don't want to say ceases to upset you, but perhaps doesn't upset you as much? In my office, I have to deal with people who say this person does this. And it frustrates me. This person has been doing this in my marriage, my adult child, my 15-year-old. It frustrates me. And I will say, well, what would happen if you just recognize that this is the way the person is? They've given you no indication that they wish to change. You have attempted in every way you know how to reason with them, to talk with them. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not talking about letting a 15-year-old do what they want, but certain things with a 15-year-old, for example. What would happen if you just accepted it? And the number one comeback, the number one worry is, well, they'll just run with it. They'll just think it doesn't bother me. They'll just do what they want. And then I ask, well, if you continue to frustrate yourself and get into arguments or do whatever you do that is causing friction in your relationship, is that changing anything? Are they saying, okay, I'll do less of this because you get frustrated by it? And they'll say, no, 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 they're doing every bit as much. I said, well, then then you have no risk that they're going to get worse if you simply try to bring peace to yourself and recognize that at some level, acceptance is your best move. And I think for Christopher, that's why we talked about just go visit your parents because you know every time you call, for some reason dad's going to pick up the phone and for some reason he's not going to let you talk to mom. And Christopher's asked him, and Dad's given a very flimsy excuse, clearly a cover story. And Christopher's not getting to the real reason, and Dad's not going to give him the real reason, and that is the way it is. Maybe Christopher's worried that if he doesn't push on Dad, then Dad will just continue to do what he's doing, but Dad's already continuing to do what he's doing. So Christopher really has nothing to lose by not upsetting himself over the way Dad's behaving. Okay, uh, this is a rather rather short call from Lisa, Lisa in Pennsylvania. I hope we have enough time here, Andrew, to get this one in. Four and a half? Yeah, I might have to talk about Lisa after the break, too. Lisa, when families drift... Now, this all drifting apart, did that happen because of hostilities or no? Just the, the fluid flow of life. I think the flow of life, but it's... There's 
um, you know, they always were like, my parents were always like family, family, family. We had a very small family, no extended family. And then as we grew older um, and started having kids, you know, they were like, yay, grandkids. But then, you know, they would spend the whole summer like, you know, at their vacation house. And then um, last couple of years, they've been, you know, spending the winter in Florida. So it's just, we just don't really see them. And there's just not a lot of effort. Like, I mean, I feel like, you know, if I call, then I never, you know, like my mom never calls me. And I just, it's just sort of like, well, where did the family go? You know? <laughs> well, it's hard to know what your parents' motives are. It's hard to know if their view is, it's our turn to have our life now, you have your life, and we're going to enjoy our golden years and do what we want. I guess the one thing I would say is be cautious about personalizing what they're doing. In other words, I thought they'd care more about our kids, our grandkids, their grandkids. Yeah. They don't. What's going on here? What's wrong with them? You're right. Uh, you you may have found out, and this is the interesting thing about people as they move through situations, you may have found out that your parents are not all that involved as grandparents. and It's just not something that, that to them is attractive. Yeah. And so what I would say is if you want to reconnect with them, you're going to have to be the connector. And keeping in mind you're probably not going to get the kind of connection you would hope but but you're basically doing is saying, okay, I'm going to honor my mom and dad. I'm going to contact them, see how they're doing. I'm going to invite them to stuff. And if they make their excuses or they retreat to some Bora Bora Island during my son's birthday, okay, that's that's who they are. I got that now. Uh, but I'm not going to sit and distress myself over the fact that they're not acting as grandparents as I would love them to act. Right. That's what, that's what I would do. And I have that even with my own kids. You know, my kids are all grown, and some of them are very, very connected to us, and others, well, they can go long periods of time. We don't hear from them. Right. And I, I, my attitude is I wrestle with, well, all right, am I going to contact you, or are you going to contact me because I'm dad? So what I typically do is eventually break down and contact them just to let them know I'm still here and I still love them. Yeah, that's a good, good advice. <laughs> The lesson here that I want to talk about from Lisa's call. In the beginning of the call, she said, my parents always wanted close family, always wanted tight family, uh, always emphasized connection with them and the kids. So Lisa predicted, she predicted that as grandparents with grandkids now added to the mix, the parents would be the same in their approach to family life or maybe even tighter. And that didn't happen. I think the lesson here is that you can't predict well how somebody's going to act when they've not been in that situation. She predicted how they were going to be as grandparents. And it shocked her when they weren't. Because she thought, well, they've always, they've always had a close relationship with us as kids. So why wouldn't that continue with grandkids? That's a reasonable prediction. But it didn't come true. 
kind of shows you sometimes. You can't really know how somebody's going to act until the situation gets there. The best way for the church to respond to this new woke religion is to actually begin to see it as religious. What they're offering is a new sense of believing, a new sense of belonging, and a new sense of behaving. They have new commandments uh, regarding tolerance and inclusivism and multiculturalism and egalitarianism. And what's remarkable about this is that the woke people seem to think that the Christian faith is a barrier. Look, Christianity has always taught that the gospel was a universal message. Christ died for all. All human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And we all have solidarity in the fact that we sin. And yet the church gets no credit for its great cultural achievements. Look, the church has already welcomed every nation, family, and tribe. We are the first universal people. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Do you have a bad temper? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. From the Old to the New Testament, Scripture speaks about us controlling our anger. Proverbs states that those of us with a hasty temper will make mistakes. We also know anger issues can lead to health issues. We can cause a fight, lose a friend, or witness to others in ways that are unproductive. Mayo Clinic suggests some ways to manage our anger and dial down the temperature of our anger. Practice deep breathing, maybe a personal timeout. Think before speaking. Calm down before discussing a concern. This will lead to less stress. Identify solutions and present them calmly. Try using humor or laugh at yourself. Humor can be a great diffuser. Most of all, if you have persistent anger issues at work or at home, don't be afraid to seek help. For more details on managing anger, look for the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. I like that kind of piano, don't you? I see people that are just incredibly talented on instruments. I gotta admit, my admiration drifts into envy. I'm so impressed with that level of skill. Okay, we got an anonymous mom from Washington. There's a question about her son acting up. Now, Kids acting up is a very common question, so there must be some angle on this that I wanted to talk about. Now, you say you picked out this high school for him. Is it a Catholic high school? Yeah, it is, and he's always either been at a Catholic school or um, homeschooled, and um, it's a very small um, classical Catholic school. Um and he, like I said, he was not happy with our choice. He's a very social kid. Um, he's also very athletic, and there's no, um, there's no sports there. Um, although he's permitted to play in the public school, but he has chosen not to do that. Um, and so he has just kind of, he, he's always been the kind of kid that, is very well behaved in other places. He's always 
gotten good grades and um but at home um we're a, my husband's his stepfather he lost his dad when he was three um and uh so there's that dynamic going on and he's just always treated me with very disrespectful kind of language nothing like overtly you know calling me names or anything but just always having a comment for something and anyway that has bled now into his experience at school and he's kind of becoming the kid that badmouths the school or badmouths the teacher with especially with younger kids and so is the school saying we don't want to deal with him he's getting to be too much for um, us to handle not quite yet, but that conversation is pending. And uh, to, to maybe even complicate matters, my husband is one of his teachers, um, and they don't have the best relationship. Your husband and, thinks that this, this young man has been allowed to be too undisciplined with you. Well, that's true. Yes, that's very, very true. And your um, husband thinks that you've kind of protected him too much, and this has caused some marital friction. Yes, that's very true as well. And so now we're kind of to the point where trying to figure out, does do we continue to keep him in the school? I'm very opposed to public school, although that's where my son wants to go because that's what everybody else does. We're the only Catholics in our family, so that doesn't help. Um, Your son has realized that if he acts up enough, he's going to force somebody's hand. Yeah, that's starting to happen for sure. And so we're not wanting to reward that behavior, but at the same time, you know, we're we're not sure what to do. I don't want to homeschool him because well, he he has an attitude at home um, where there's lots why, of why, fighting. Okay, question, question, question. It from what you're describing, it doesn't sound like much of a surprise that he would decide Correct. to act this way at school since he's had a history of acting this way at home. Right. Is there a right. reason we why made... you haven't let your husband discipline him? Well, I don't know why the school hasn't done much disciplining. And I've actually I sent an email to all of the teachers not that long ago because he, he finally lied to me about doing homework. He, he's never done that before. He's always been responsible about that. And so I sent an email to all the teachers, and I, and my husband had reported that, you know, he he was bad mouthing him at school. Mom, your your husband and doesn't think he's as good a kid as you do, does he? Probably, that's probably true. Um, <clears throat> so he, he back to my original like question, my I'm going to have to I'm going to have to hurry here because we're going to have to run through the break. Yep. Why has your husband not been able to discipline him? I have eventually put the kibosh on that because he, in my opinion, he he's wants too hard. to he's too hit hard. the problem with a hammer. Yep. Right, he's too yep. So he's been, you've been married since when? Since your son was how old? He was almost seven. We've been married eight years. So in the last eight years, your husband's gotten very frustrated because he sees your son getting away with a lot. And he wants to do something as a dad, as a husband, and he sees that he's constricted 
And right now, and I know I'm going off in a direction that you didn't ask, but this seems to be the no, dynamic. No, it's absolutely true. Yeah, under yes, underlying what's going on. Absolutely true. Which leads us to the question: One, I think you and your husband have to sit down, and I see this all the time in my office, especially with second marriages, where the the step parent realizes, hey, there's some things that need to be changed here, but the bio parent says, oh no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, he was ripped off. He lost his father. Uh, this is a special situation. Uh, you as a, a husband are too rough. Uh, and I think part of your husband's frustration may be that he's not allowed to discipline. If he were allowed to discipline, he might not be as as rough as you describe it. And sometimes I find that yeah. being rough is not rough. It's just being a man, and the women are a little at, ill at ease with that. But that's another story. That That'll be for a future look-back call. If you think that that school is the best place for his moral and social well-being, then you enforce it and recognize you're going to have to deal with his acting out. At this point, I think you and your husband need to sit down and get on the same page. And I think mm-hmm. that you could look at this and say, is my husband really uh, a, a bad father a harsh father, an overbearing father, or is he a man and he's disciplining less womanly than I would? I'm more, I'm more likely to, to talk it through, to maybe negotiate, to find a compromise, where he's a little more black and white. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just his style. And I, 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 I would sense that your son smells that you guys don't agree on a lot of stuff. So I'm figuring he's realized how to drive some wedges. Mom said an interesting thing right at the very beginning of the call. She said his dad died when he was three, so that's a factor. Now, obviously, I didn't. This is not therapy. So I would have explored that in therapy. How is that a factor? Now, one might say, well, clearly... You lose a parent. But at age three, his actual memories of his father would be at most a few snapshots. So it being a factor had to play out as he got older. In my very first book, You're a Better Parent Than You Think, I had a chapter titled How to Talk Yourself Out of Authority. One of the subsections of that chapter was he's a special child and he's a special child means he has circumstances that are not the norm for kids and the death of a parent is not the norm for certain not anymore may have been at one time but not anymore as a result as I was listening to mom talk uh, if I if I would have had her in a therapy session, I would have talked about how that may have played into her allowing behavior, giving it leeway because he's dealing with or he's been left without his father. She also said that he mistreats her verbally, disrespectful, probably argumentative. She can't homeschool him because he doesn't cooperate. So this is a long-standing thing. So it doesn't surprise me that at age 17, he says, this is what I want. I want to go to public high school, and you won't let me, so therefore, 
I'm going to make trouble. That doesn't surprise me. There are statistics that say one of the main reasons for the failure of second time around marriages is the children. Because oftentimes the biological parent doesn't like the step-parent's discipline views. My experience has been much of the time the step-parent's more objective. But then what happens is the step-parent gets frustrated. And in that frustration, she, she said this, mom said this, they don't have a very good relationship. Now that can come from one of two directions. One, the kid knows his stepdad's trying to discipline him, he doesn't like it. Or two, stepdad really finds this kid hard to relate to because he's unpleasant in a lot of ways. He sees how he treats his wife. But then when he tries to do something about it, depending, he could get undercut or stopped. So that's why I focused heavily on the dynamic between the parents. Now, at this point, this kid's 17 years old. At this point, I think an awful lot of how he is going to navigate life is going to be determined by how life treats him. He's, he's moving beyond his parents' purview. And <laughs> if I were to guess... I would say that dad's probably going to be relieved by that because this kid is probably the number one sore spot in their relationship. Um, that said, I would want to get together with a school and link up with them and say, I want to know when he does what he does because I'm going to deal with it at home and I'm going to put consequences on it that are much more uh, meaningful than you're going to put on it. I can do more things at home. I can, I can make him go to bed early. I can, I'm sure your kid's got a smartphone. There's no doubt in my mind he has a smartphone because he would make life too miserable for his parents if he didn't. So given all that, this is a common dynamic that I see. Parent, step-parent, different discipline styles. Step-parent gets frustrated. Step-parent then has a deteriorating relationship with the child because they don't feel like they have the authority over the child. The parent protects the child from the step-parent who needs to be nicer to the child. And then the step-parent says, well, if the kids were easier to, kid was easier to get along with, I would be nicer to him. And on and on the man plays. That's why I focus so hard on it. Is he, in fact, an overbearing, mean-spirited dad? Or is he trying to set limits that mom is not comfortable with because she's still feeling a certain protectiveness toward her son because his father died when he was three? I'm Dr. Ray. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. 
parents in a town just 45 minutes outside of Dublin have band together to enforce a smartphone ban for their children in elementary school. It was just the striking results of the rising anxiety, depression, and everything we noticed of having a mobile phone, especially among young children. And according to this article, the results have been extremely positive in terms of less anxiety among the children, closer bonds being formed with the families, more time spent together outside with kids playing and actually reading. I mean, this is such common sense. All too often, I think it's it's hard for parents and grandparents to resist, right? Well, mom and dad, everybody has one. It's really incredible, this simple effort of parents coming together and saying, you know what, we need to do something. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Dr. Ray Grandy, thanks for joining me here on The Doctor's In. This is Look Back Friday as we are ending it. Good Lord permitting, I'll see you Monday on E-Person Monday. I used to do evaluations for several Head Start programs over several years. Had a situation with one young man who was significantly hearing impaired, significantly so. I was called in not because of the hearing impairment, but because of his conduct. He was incredibly disruptive, defiant, just very hard to control. As I interviewed the parents, it became very clear their view was because life has taken away most of his hearing, that we need to accept when he gets frustrated and when he acts out and when he carries on because... He's a special child. And I remember thinking the sad thing about this was that this young man's handicap, if you would want to call it that, is not so much his hearing. It's his conduct. The other kids didn't want to be near him. The other kids didn't like him. The other kids didn't want him around. What happened was because they thought he's been ripped off by life, the parents did, that we're going to really back off on putting reasonable limits and responsibility and standards on him. This was many years ago. I don't know where this young man is now. This was very long ago. I, I don't know, but ha- had they not redirected their parenting, I'm thinking it would have just only become a much more difficult situation. You saw that in the Helen Keller story, remember? If you saw any of the Helen Keller story, parents allowed her very much to act with total wild abandon because they felt so bad for her and her loss of hearing and sight. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Ray Garandi. Thanks, Andrew Kruchek. Walk with God always, please. And if you fall, get back up. 
For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.